Welcome to Growing Your Financial Advisory Practice podcast by Snap Projections, episode five. I'm your host, Pavel Berminski, and my goal is to interview experts to provide you with insights, strategies, and actionable tactics that you can start applying to grow your financial advisory practice today. For more information, head over to Snap Projections slash podcast. Now, let's introduce today's featured guest. Today's guest is John Page. John is an incredible person. I feel extremely honored to have him on the show. John started in the industry as an insurance agent back in 1978 and developed a top agency with 50-plus advisors using a financial planning approach. Later, he established Page & Associates as fee-based planners, where he developed a set of innovative processes to engage and serve clients with financial planning. After turning over that business to his sons and other partners, he focused on consulting and coaching financial advisory firms as part of Wealth Enhancement Academy. Since 2013, he served as a chairman and chief adjudicator of the Plum Plus Global Financial Planning Awards. John, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. All right. So, so far in this series, we have discussed a big topic of transitioning from product-centric into an advice-centric practice. And we talked about how to do this transition successfully, how to properly articulate the value of financial advice, price our services, and even conduct our first client meeting. So in this last episode in our series with John, we will tie it all together. We will discuss predictably growing your practice with systems, tools, and referrals. So John, let's start with the systems. What systems do you think need to be in place for an advisor to be able to predictably grow their practice? Well, actually, um, we, we need one that I don't think we've talked about, but we might have. Um, the, what, what's required is something to track where your clients are in the overall progress of being your client. And think of it like a spreadsheet with a bunch of columns. You know, you start when, uh, when you get a prospect and eventually you work your way to engagement and then the first plan and then the first plan generates uh, certain recommendations. So you're following through on those recommendations and then you're moving into review. Um, which is an important aspect of being a great financial planner that I'm, I'm afraid some planners don't keep very good track of. Um, I always wanted to know exactly where my clients were. I wanted them to know even the next time I was going to phone them so they wouldn't wonder about it. So they got uh, in their initial plan, they got a calendar of the next 12 months, which would put uh, in touch points that I had planned to get in touch with them for one thing or another. So they have, they have an idea that I'm going to keep in touch, and my system will prompt me uh, to make sure that I do what I say I'm going to do. So that is, to me, regardless of you know, what other things you're doing, that system is really, really important. It can be very sophisticated. It could be very simple. Great. So I think we haven't actually discussed that. So I'm really glad that you brought it up. And I see this as a more of a tracking the life cycle of a client, right? Just the, the different transitions. And I think uh, you mentioned so many different systems uh, in the last uh, couple of episodes here. So are we right to think about that this is sort of your dashboard when you see where our clients are and all the different systems, other systems that you have will launch and maybe be invoked when something happens? Exactly. 
Excellent. Okay, so let's uh, let's go back now to what uh, happens after that first client meeting. So um, we met with a client, and uh, we discovered the values of the client. We discovered a lot of financial information, their goals, objectives, and a lot of other information that we discussed in the last um, episode. But what happens really after that meeting? Okay, after that meeting, um, well, after the very first meeting, um, which we we find out about the values and the objectives. Um, we we move to making a commitment to do what I call the initial assessment and evaluation. And I know I must have mentioned that. Yes, you did. Let's talk a little bit more about this, though. What is the really the goal of this approach of the system? Okay, well, what what it does is it tells the client how deep the potholes are uh, ahead. And, and it, it gives them an overview of if they do nothing other than they continue to do what they're doing right now. It's a projection, uh, a long-term projection, which shows, you know, the result that they're that they're more than likely going to get. And quite often, people aren't too happy with the result, and that's that's where you move to the the next step of of engagement. So you mentioned that engagement. So. Um... When do we confirm? At what point we we confirm that uh, the clients want to engage us as a primary financial advisor? And why would that be important? Okay. Well, when you you're going to you're going to have that initial meeting, and during that meeting, you're gonna you're gonna show them a sample of whatever sort of assessment that you do first. Mine's called the initial assessment. So, brilliantly creative title, of course. Um, <laughs> So you you prepare that document, you use that in your second meeting to illustrate exactly where they are right now, um, which, of course, will set up eventually recommendations. But you don't make, you really don't make any recommendations. You just show them, you know, it's like doing a, a physical exam and discovering things, but the doctor then doesn't tell you what the next step is. So all they would know is that we have the ability to fix it. And that's really all they need to know initially. Obviously, you know, some people you're going to get into a little more detail than others, but basically they're engaging you to be their primary financial advisor. And that's a term I actually use. and some people, you know, they want to know what, what what does that mean? And basically what that means is you wouldn't make any uh, important decisions without us talking first. And sometimes advisors may be tense or may be willing to actually start, you know, as you call it, fixing this or making recommendations earlier than, than uh, establishing that they're a primary financial advisor. Is there a problem with that? Well, yeah, I think so. Um, let, let me let me just illustrate an example. Um, w- one fellow that I that I worked with recently, um, he went out to do the um, do the first meeting with the guy, and then he went in, and the guy had a very large portfolio. Uh, mm-hmm. It was over a couple million, so he was quite excited, and he he's pretty good at explaining how he works versus what they currently have. 
And so he figured based on that, he's, he's going to get started working with this client. Um, the client was very polite and said, you know, it's very interesting. You give me a lot to think about. And uh, that's what I'd like to do. I'd like to think it over. And I mean, how many times have you heard that? Um, if you're doing it wrong, you hear it a lot. If you're doing it right, you probably don't hear it much. But at any rate, now you now you're in a situation where the guy's sitting out there. You've really done nothing except show him how life could be better, but you haven't gone into a lot of details, and you you haven't used all of the possible, I'll call it ammunition that you could use to to engage the guy like to, you, you do a lot more than uh, presenting how you work with a portfolio. It, it, at least you should. So what this fellow found was th- this was common with him um, th- that he would, when he would hit a, a very large one, he would find it difficult to get people to move their money. So if you put engagement first and what, to explain to a person what engagement means, it means that I'm going to work with you to determine what you're trying to do, to determine your objectives. And then I'm going to build a plan to do exactly what you want to do. And then we'll we'll monitor it along the way to make sure that you get there. So that's what engagement means. Um so some, sometimes people will ask, well, do I have to, you know, give you all of my money now? I'd say, no, you don't. Um, but you probably will want to do that at some point in time. I mean, that's, that's honest. So I, I take the engagement and uh, we go forward. And generally by the, by the end of the second meeting, they'll say, well, I, you know, I think we'd be better off you know, transferring our, our money to you. Um, so it's, it, you have no hook unless you've gotten a commitment that they're, that they've engaged you as an advisor. Like you're, are you going to just keep calling back and say, if you decided yet? So I treat them as a client immediately. As soon as they, declare that they are um, by signing an engagement agreement. And uh, then they eventually they start acting like clients, which uh, a good client you'll do everything for Uh, everything that you're licensed to do and what you're not licensed to do. You refer likely to someone else. Excellent. So engaging or confirming that the client will engage you as a primary financial advisor really is soliciting the, the commitment from the client. And then everything happens after that, as I understand it. Yes, that's that's right. And but the 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 way the way you ask for engagement is, is so simple. It's like falling off a log. You don't say, "Would you like to engage me?" Um, what you've done. Keep in mind, I would I would do a quick review of everything that we thought we could do for the client. And the client would be quite excited. Um, and then I would say based on, you know, our conversation, based on some of the 
sample client work we've showed you. Is, is there any any reason you can think of that you wouldn't want to engage us as your primary financial advisor? Oh, it's a wonderful way to ask this question. <laughs> There's so much brilliance in it. I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, okay, so let's switch gears a little bit right now. Um, Let's talk about referrals because we get those questions uh, from advisors a lot. And I know that you have a very specific system for referrals. So can you tell us how advisors can generate referrals in their practices in a consistent and predictable manner? Okay, uh, absolutely. Uh, once again, I think it needs to be, it needs to be systematic. Um, and you, you, probably don't, you probably don't even have to ask, but you know, some advisors will, some won't. I know some that, that get a steady uh, stream of referrals and they never ask anyone, but it's because of the process they're using. So um, here's basically the way it works. It starts with, it, we tie the whole thing to what we call quality assurance. And we have questionnaires that we use and I would be ha happy if you want to provide um, people with a look at the first one. Absolutely. We'll uh, link in the show notes. Thank you very much. Okay. Um, so on the questionnaire, it, it asks questions about how you're doing as an advisor. Um, and the questions are, I think, are pretty, pretty straightforward. But people need to score you either on a scale of 1 to 5 or 1 to 10. Um, experts in this area say one to five is better. I like doing one to 10. Um, so you know, I'm sure either one works. What kind of questions uh, are you asking? Just if you maybe can give an example. Okay. Um, first question is, how are we doing in terms of helping you work toward attainment of your objectives? And um, I see... And then they're going to answer that question. Mm -hmm. um, on a, on a, in, in this particular case, it happens to be a scale of one to five. One is poor, five is outstanding. So how was our response time to questions that you may have asked? Uh, next one is, how have we handled any problems or unplanned contingencies that may have arisen? Mm -hmm. um, how would you rank our understanding of your specific personal situation and any problems that you may face? So basically, do you think we've been really listening? And how would you evaluate our overall competency in terms of the advice we've actually given you? So there's five questions. I don't think there's anything too magic about those questions. Mm -hmm. um, where the magic is, is right below those questions, those questions which are numbered one through five, there are two questions that aren't numbered. The first one is, would you feel confident in recommending our firm to a friend? Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> and they're going to say yes or no. Um, I honestly, it, it almost takes guts to say no. Um, the next question is right after that is, would you feel comfortable in serving as a reference for our services? 
that that question is not quite as invasive as the first question, mm-hmm. um, because a lot of people say, "Yeah, I'll serve as a reference," and that that means just that your name and phone number would be available to a prospective client who may want to talk to some of our clients. You'd be on our list of people they could talk to. Um, so the the other one, I am going to. If they say yes, would you feel confident in recommending our firm to a friend? Well, and they say yes. If that doesn't set you up to get referrals, nothing ever will. Um, because if they, they, they've told you they feel confident in recommending us to a friend. So they said yes. And then what do you then? Well, it, I try, I, I try not to do this, but sometimes you, you get anxious and uh, you, you call them. Um, but certainly don't call them. <laughs> don't call them as soon as you read it. Don't look like, I mean, I think you, everyone would get the point. Um, quite often what, what happens is with, with me is I wouldn't even mention it until uh, I did their first sit down review, which would be very early in the process because we want to nip anything in the bud. So typically a 90 to 120 days would be, we're, we're actually going to sit down with them or we're going to look at a computer screen together. This could just as easily be, um, you know, remote. And so We'll talk about what's going well, what what they like, what they don't like, so on and so forth, how they think we can get better, better at serving them. And then I'll say something like, by the way, you mentioned on the first questionnaire, I'm I'm just looking at it, um, would you feel confident in recommending our firm to a friend? Uh, Did you have a particular, like, when you answered that question, um, did you have a particular friend in mind? Mm-hmm. Wonderful. And so I, you know, I, I don't like pressing because if I'm good and I've given them a great plan and they, they're, they've developed trust with me already, um, maybe not as good as it will be five years from now, but they feel pretty good. And, the, the reason they feel pretty good is because of the quality of the plan and because it, it inspires them. They can see how they're going to get where they want to go. So with this system, what happens really, you're just setting this up in a way that they have an opportunity to provide you with a referral, but you're not pressing. So if there is a one reason, for example, that they maybe at this particular moment, they don't want to provide a referral. They don't have to. I don't. They don't have to feel bad about it. But there is a really nice setup for them that if they uh, have actually somebody in mind, they can very easily and very naturally recommend somebody to you. Yeah, I I would say a very high percentage of the time. Um, I haven't. I I don't think I've tracked it, but I I may have. Um, but a very high percentage would would give you one name, two names, or three names. And I don't just want names. What what I'll do is have a, a fairly standard letter that their name would go in the letter. <clears throat> um, 
And then it would also, once I had done the letter, I would send the letter to them, to the client, before it gets mailed to the referral. And I, I would have the client just write a note on the bottom of the lever. You know, something like, hi, Joe. John is really a great guy, and I think you should, you know, meet him. It doesn't have to be any more complicated than that. And so now it's not its not just coming from me. It's coming from them. Makes sense? Makes absolute sense. Wonderful. So uh, typically, I don't know if you have the stats on that, but I'm, I'm just curious, how many referrals per year can you expect from one client? Well, not that many. I would say... Uh, I would say on average, probably one, one from each, one from each client, um, because you, initially you'll get the, the ones that are most obvious to the client, and then it'll take a little longer, and they'll, as they develop more confidence, as they start talking to people, um, you, you'll get more and more, but it, I there's an important thing to keep in mind here. Um, it, the way I would practice, I wouldn't have any more than a hundred clients, um, because I don't think you can do comprehensive work for more than a hundred clients a year. So I don't need, I don't need a lot of referrals. So one referral per year from a client is actually a lot because I mean you can yeah. easily double your business. That's a, that's a big is. number. Now, what would be what would become of those? See, it, it depends on how your practice is set up, um, it, because you'll get sometimes you'll get what I call down referrals, which would be, you know, to their son who has no money, mm-hmm. and so I will likely have an associate or some way of dealing with that, or use a robo advisor or some creative way mm-hmm. to to help the kid. Mm-hmm. without doing a comprehensive plan for them. And I explained that to the to the parents and and they're dandy fine with that. Because by the way, I didn't tell you one of the <laughs> I should have mentioned this earlier. One of the uh things that I explain to them uh before they engage me is that we do an initial assessment for anyone that they recommend. Mm-hmm. So in, in the case of like their kids or their parents, they're quite excited for me to go do an initial assessment for them. They'll phone them and say, wait, this guy's coming. He's going to develop a little report for you. Um, you'll, you'll love it. And, um, you know, it's important. That's an important, really uh, good way of actually having those referrals, done referrals, and, and uh, having a longer and more meaningful relationship with the, with the, with the client, with really with the family. Absolutely. I mean, uh, we we can't cover everything, but uh, working your way into the family on a profitable basis, meaning you don't want to do big plans and get paid nothing for them. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, it's it, it's so important because, it, uh, particularly if you're dealing with people over a certain age, where they're. Um, mortality rates are are higher, uh, chances are you're going to end up with um, either just dealing with one spouse or when both spouses are gone, uh, their kids. And 
you you've probably seen the statistics of what happens today when you pass the relationship when the relationship goes to the kids like there's there's uh it's over 90% leave wow that's a big number because their thinking is i you know i don't know that guy i don't want to re advisor my dad head hmm. um but if you practice right they know you <laughs> right so this is great and they they actually know they can call you um and no there's no charge for having the guy call you so it it's um it, it's a really wonderful thing in fact you know every time every time i talk about it i regret my decision to stop practicing i've threatened my sons that i'm going to go in competition with them <laughs> okay okay well this is amazing this i think you have a really amazing system for referrals not just cross referrals but down the referrals as you as you mentioned so this is this is amazing but um i want to also cover other elements of the content here so now uh let's talk about the tools uh, john so what kind of tools would you use in your practice okay well um probably the first one that comes to mind is um a client relationship management software, a CRM. Um, and that's mainly to keep track of the, keep track of their information. And it's used as a follow-up system so they don't miss anything. For example, once you've done recommendations, those are immediately imported into the um, client relationship management system because they're going to be tracked. You don't want to miss doing a recommendation for someone. So a CRM would, to me, would be very, very important. And there's new things on the market. I'm actually testing one now. I, I'm not using it for clients, but I'm using it to keep track of stuff that I've said I will do for a financial advisor I'm working with. and. What it does, it's really cool. It you get gather the initial information, and then it goes out to social media and grabs everything it it, it can find. Um, and and it, I don't know where it gets all the stuff, but when you first input the name, um, then when you go back to it, it'll it'll say um, we have seven additions to this person's file. As a matter of fact, with you yourself, the the first time it popped up, I had a little basic information about you, and then there were seven other facts about you. And <laughs> you know, it's really cool. Excellent. Okay. Well, CRM, this is great. So, what? Uh, and we maybe, uh, if we can find the name of the tool, we can maybe uh, provide this in the show notes as well. So, hopefully, we can link it. What other tools would you use in your practice? Well. Um, obviously, financial planning software is probably the main tool. So let's talk about that because we are transitioning into financial planning um, practice. So let's talk about financial planning uh, software. But you know, I'm going to challenge with one thing because I see sometimes advisors building the, their own Excel spreadsheets, and I want to talk about it. What do you think about using Excel uh, for planning? Oh, using Excel? Um, well, in two words, not much. Um, I, 
I'm not saying that you can't do a plan in a, in Excel. Obviously, you can. You can do a very sophisticated plan. Um, but one of the things that some people forget is your plan needs to stay um, up to date. And like if I'm using a financial planning software, depending on what software it is, um, I'll get all the latest values of the person's portfolio. But more importantly than that, um, I will be aware of tax changes, things that like if something changes, the software will deal with it. Uh, you may have to push a button to rerun it, but you're not going. You're not going to get that in your Excel spreadsheet unless you do it all yourself. Um, and, and no matter how smart you are, um, it is possible to make mistakes. And you may have, you, you may find that there's some far more sophisticated formulas to do what you're trying to do for the client. Um, nevertheless, after all that, I know some people will continue to use Excel um, because if, if they feel it gives them more control. Right. So I don't agree, but, you know. Well, there's a lot of aspects to it, and we see this all the time, of course. I mean, we spend, uh, spend time building software. So, I mean, there is uh, everything from being almost impossible to duplicate what good financial planning software can do over and over, right, with Excel. Yeah to maintaining, training your team, and so on and so on. But I really wanted to get your perspective, and I think that's, that's a really good perspective. So I know listeners would want to hear about specific tools. And of course, you know, I might be a little biased because we've created some projections. So I'm going to ask you this question. So what kind of financial planning tools in Canada do you see advisors use? Well, um, I see, um, I, I think it's still called FPS 2000. Um, and that that's the one that's produced by CCH, um, and that's that's you know that's pretty good. It's um, it's actually Excel spreadsheet based, but they they're running the Excel spreadsheet, designing it, and um, but that's that's pretty good. You can do quite a sophisticated plan, uh, like if the client has trusts and holding companies. It will deal with all that, um, and it's it's good. Um, the The other one is a company that I'm not overly fond of, but it's used still quite a bit, which is NavaPlan. And um, some people don't know that I think NavaPlan is I, – I know for sure they've been sold three times, and I think maybe it's four times. Um, now – what, how does that matter? Well, um, I, 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 you know, if I'm using a software, like if I'm using Snap, uh, I want to know you. I, you know, I want to be able to talk to you or <laughs> one of your technical people anyway. And with something like Navaplan, it's, I, I should imagine it's harder to do that. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that. So this is interesting, uh, interesting start. I didn't know that, actually. What other tools do you see? Well, this is interesting. The, the guy that really designed FPS 2000, um, he left and he designed something else called Razor. And uh, 
Razor, Razor is pretty good. It's far less sophisticated because I'm sure at um, at CCH he found um, he found maybe CCH was a bit too complicated for a lot of advisors. Um, <clears throat> so then then there's um, so I said Razor Vision Works. Uh, Michael Curtis the the guy that owns the company is just a terrific fellow, um, but I don't like the way he has designed the software to practice. Um, it's the the idea of being interactive with a client is great, but I, what I don't want to do is I don't want to sit at their kitchen table and say, "How do you spell your name?" and then work through all their assets and everything and uh, then do a projection and then, um, you know, talk to them and about how it could be adjusted and so on and so forth. I'm probably being a, a, a bit too harsh. Um, but it, basically it's designed that you, that it's interactive. It's, it's good that it's interactive, but I don't want to have to sit with the client I want to be able to gather information, put it in on my own. Um, now, you know, that's that's not a big deal for some people. Um, for me, it would be. Right. Any other tools that you see on the market right now? Well, yeah, there's Snap. I think you're familiar <laughs> with that one. I am. <laughs> okay, okay, but I, I have to be totally honest, and, and you know this, but just so our listeners will know, um, Snap has been a new discovery for me. I didn't really, even though you've got a whole mess of RFPs as clients and I'm an RFP and it's a fairly small group of old guys, um, few women, but, um, but <laughs> you, you have base. a bunch of them as clients and generally they're, they're pretty sharp. Um, so that, you know, just that alone uh, impressed me. So you gave me a demo, as you'll recall. Mm -hmm. And based on what I saw, um, if I had to describe it quickly, I would say that you have a you have a tool to do an extremely fast projection. And in fact, it looks fast enough that I, I might even dare to do it in front of the client, but I wouldn't. Um, and one of the reasons for not doing it in front of the client is it, it may look too simple. And they, they figure, well, uh, yeah, a guy just punched in a bunch of numbers and th that was it. Um, if you if you go away and do it and then you come back and you're excited about the report you've developed and you present it to them, they can tell you've you've actually worked on it. And um, that you're, you might even be passionate about getting them as clients. Um, so, nevertheless, back to Snap. Uh, it, it looks, it really looks great. I would, I would try it. In in fact, as soon as I, <laughs> as soon as I have some time, I'm going to ask you to give me a copy. <laughs> Sounds good. Okay. So enough about Snap. It's not about it's not about Snap projections really here. Any other tools that you want to talk about so that you see on the market and pros and maybe and cons or, or even some how the landscape of financial planning tools is changing. What kind of new capabilities? Oh, okay. <laughs> There's one other that I must mention. Um, 
I'm the, I'm the chairman of the Plan Plus Global Financial Planning Awards. So, um, you know, we look at plans all around the world. A- at any rate, uh, Plan Plus would, would fit more in the category of, let's say, a NAVA plan. Um, and it, it does, it has features that no one has. Um, but it also, it's, it could be considered hard to work with. And, um, so, you know, but that's another one. That's a good one as well. And you know what? It's really difficult to actually talk even about you know, pros and cons. And we have just you know, a couple of minutes we spent talking about different tools because there's some very sophisticated tools on the market. And, uh, and uh, we hear advisors saying that you know, it's very, it's, they spend a lot of time using those tools. So sometimes, um, and then there, there's some very simple calculators on, on the market as well. And they're not as sophisticated. They don't have the capability to be able to actually advise clients. So sometimes... Um, it actually occurred uh, to some some of the advisors that we work with that there are some fin- financial planning tools uh, and there may be some financial projections tools. I would totally agree with that. Um, and, and initially, you you want you want a projection tool, uh, and a projection tool should expose the flaws in their basic situation, and will likely show you if they keep doing what they're doing. Uh, they're not going to get where they want to go. And so I, I know SNAP would, I haven't tried it, of course, but I'm sure SNAP would do that very well. Okay, so let's go to, a, let's ask actually another question that this uh, maybe will become more controversial. Because um, what are your thoughts on advisor using the planning software or any software? Is this just entering the numbers if some advisors want to just enter the numbers and print the report and consider they're done? Oh, gosh, no. Or is there more to it? What do you think about that? Oh, my gosh. Well, I'll tell you what I think about it. The way I practiced, um, I had uh, a person that I called an associate advisor, not just me, the other uh, planners in the office. So we had an associate um, and quite often pretty knowledgeable. um, On In one case, I had an associate that had a CFP. In fact, most of them had their CFP. She was also an RFP. Um, And um, at any rate, my my point was they do the input to the software. I I, I don't do it. And they're, if I've collected the facts right, they're able to do it. They may have to, talk to me and say, well, what the heck does this mean? Uh, or we may even have to phone the client. And I prepare the client for that, that they, they know in all likelihood we're going to phone them once or twice while we're developing their plan. And I also tell them it may not be me phoning you. Uh, her name would be Margaret. Um, so at any rate, the, I don't, I see the plan. I see what's called the first draft of the plan. And the first draft is pretty well the way it comes out. Uh, it comes off the printer when, when, you're, um, when you're using the software. Now, some advisors would take that and they're ready to go. Um, I, I wouldn't do that because at the end, the, the most important part of the document is probably the last thing uh, that's in there, which I call it an action plan. 
and it lays out what you're going to do, when you do it, and why it's important. And it, it also will indicate if you have a multi-advisor office, who is going to do it. Like some would be my associate advisor, some of the things on the list. What's on the list? Oh, gosh, there, if this is an initial plan, a lot of things. Uh, everything from uh, repositioning your portfolio to um, applying for applying to see if we can transfer the risk that you face now to an insurance company. Um, you know, a, a number of things and then some smaller things. But there's a list by date. And uh, I, I just want to touch on this one other thing because I think it's so important. The process never stops. Uh, like my action plan would would run either for one or two years. Um, typically, it's one year. And uh, they would know they could look at the action plan and see exactly when we're going to touch base and what we're going to do. Of course, they can call me anytime they want. Uh, but it gives them confidence knowing I, we have a track to run on. Then what I always do is every year or every two years, whatever is the case, I totally rerun the plan um, because their objectives will have changed. Their risk tolerance probably hasn't changed, but it could um, depending on what experiences they've had. And so there will objectives. Uh, they may have had another kid. Uh, they may have gotten divorced. No, I know about that one right away. Um, so there'd be things that change. So you run, you run another plan. And uh, depending on what software you're using, you can compare what happened the first time that you ran it with where they are now. So they can, they can see that they're making progress. Right, because it's not essentially about the one plan, the one document you take off the printer and maybe give it to a client or email to a client as a PDF report. It's about the relationship, ongoing planning process. That's what I've heard many, many times, especially yeah. from very experienced advisors. Absol absolutely. That, uh, I mean, it is, it is a relationship. Um, and it's probably... It's probably by far the most important business relationship that anyone will have if you're working with a good advisor because they'll they'll help you with so many things like you know your your tax return they probably won't do the tax return, but they'll gather up um, most of the information that you need to do the tax return and then they'll review it before it's sent in and Typically, they'll, you know, you'll find a few omissions that the accountant didn't catch. Um, by the way, don't don't tell the client you phone the accountant and have him change it. You, you don't <laughs> want to make him look bad. Of course. So, John. So we've uh, we talked in in, um, in this episode about about the systems, about referrals, about tools, and of course there, we've got to some really uh, neat details, and you shared a lot of knowledge here. But that, just before we wrap up, I know you've been working on a new coaching program for advisors, and you're planning potentially to launch a new class very soon. So, can you tell us a little bit more about this new program? Sure, I can. Um, basically, it, in in just a few words, the the program um, starts at the 
beginning in terms of the client relationship and works all the way through the relationship, the plan, how to present it, how to how to follow up, et cetera, et cetera. Now, it sounds real simple, but if you do it right, there's a lot of little checkpoints, a lot of important things that you might not necessarily catch, like the quality assurance survey that we use. Mm-hmm. That, that's got to be locked into your process. And you'll have a bunch of letter templates and so on and so forth that you adjust, that you, uh, adjust to your style or you don't, don't use it at all. Um, but the idea is that you must have a process. So who is this course for? Who is this program for really? And what kind of results you can, uh, that the advisors who take the course uh, can expect? Okay, well, uh, of course, you have to be careful in, uh, in what you say about what results someone can expect. <laughs> because someone will sign up and then, and then not do anything and um, then come back at you and say, you know, I was supposed to get all these things. So assuming results, if they take action, of course. Yeah. Because if yeah. there's no action, there's no results. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Well, first of all, I want to work with people that are successful advisors. Now, that doesn't mean necessarily that you have a large client base. Um, you, you may not um, because you haven't been around long enough to do that. Uh, or you started very late, whatever the case is. I like working with successful people. Ideally, I like working with someone that has an assistant, at least someone that they can reach out and touch and get them to do work. Um, Because a lot of things the advisor shouldn't be doing. And on those things, we we would teach the associate advisor what to do um, to save the advisor's time. So basically someone that, someone that would consider themselves successful now, and most people that consider themselves successful realize a lot of the flaws there are in their practice. And sometimes they're moving too fast that they haven't fixed them. And, also, successful people typically see the value of being coached. Um, like any successful, almost any successful person that I know is is coached, sometimes with more than one coach for more than one thing. You know, uh, Tony, Tony Robbins has um, a couple of clients that are money managers. and um, one of them probably has the most incredible track record that anyone has ever seen. Um, and Tony, Tony char- charges this guy. Now, this is, this is hard to believe, but he charges this guy over a million a year to work with him. And um, they're best friends. <laughs> so yeah, what I'm saying is this man who is smart enough to have the largest head fund, hedge fund in the world, uh, sees the value in, in getting coached. 
so um, this all makes sense. And uh, so you want to work with more kind of successful, more established, I would say, advisors that can really look at their business and, and really remove those flaws, as you mentioned earlier, and unlock really the, the, the potential that they have there in business. Absolutely. Perfect. Okay, so if, uh, if anyone wants to uh, get a hold of you, maybe ask a few more questions or join your launch list, how would they do that? What's the best way uh, to reach you? Okay, they can uh, send me an email uh, at jpage, P-A-G-E, at M-Y-W-E-A dot net. That's my wealth enhancement academy dot net. Or they could go on LinkedIn and find me and contact me through LinkedIn. Perfect. We'll link the email and LinkedIn uh, in our show notes as well. So people, if, you have, if they have more questions, are curious about some of the things that you do, uh, they can ask you questions um, uh, that way. Absolutely. Okay. So John, I would like to thank you for coming on the show. And you shared a lot of wisdom in this series. And I hope everyone who tuned in will be able to greatly benefit from your knowledge and apply it to grow their financial advisor practice. So thank you very much. Well, that's, that's my objective to, to help people. It's, it's such a fabulous business. And the service that advisors perform, uh, you know, to me, you're more important than the doctor. Um, so it's really, really important. And I like to help. That's amazing. It's been a pleasure hosting you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye now. <laughs> 